0: Alright, so let's go ahead and get started. So, um, uh, let's see here. Oh, I'm good right now. So, um, so we're, uh, so my wife told me this morning I was too chipper to be talking about General Assembly. Uh, so, but nothing gets a Presbyterian more excited than talking about General Assembly. So, um, so this is going to be a, um, a preview of our General Assembly that's coming up. So we'll, um, a week from tomorrow, um, I will head out to Birmingham, and we'll, Leslie and I will be there for the week. And, uh, and so that's where this year's General Assembly is, so nice and close by. So, so uh, very different than uh, St. Louis, where Boaz and I went last year. So, um, and so it's nice to be uh, not to have to go so far, even though we do like seeing new places. So let's go ahead and pray, and we'll jump right into this. So Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time to gather together to consider uh, the, uh, the work of the church. And, uh, and so we just pray that you give us wisdom, uh, Father, as we think about uh, the General Assembly and the work of our denomination. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, uh, so, what is, uh, so does anybody know what the General Assembly is? No, it's actually just, well, yes, yes, within our denomination, right? Yes, yes. So, yeah, so it is the gathering of our church, uh, essentially. Um, So our denomination is the Presbyterian Church in America, and that it's a one singular entity um, that is expressed in local churches. And so, um, and the point is, is that there is a connectionalism. That's what Presbyterianism is all about. There's a connectionalism. Because, for instance, like the um, the Southern Baptist Convention, there's a reason it's called the Convention, because it's essentially participatory, it's voluntary, right? They signed up, they paid the dues, they followed some of the rules or most of the rules, and so they get and they join together to kind of work alongside each other. But the decisions they make there are not binding upon any particular church, um, because. Uh, Baptist churches are independent churches right, they're congregational governments so they, they, Baptists highly value church autonomy so they believe that each church is essentially autonomous unto itself and is not to be kind of interfered with by other churches whereas Presbyterians, we say no, we are actually, we're not a hierarchy like Episcopals or Methodists or or Roman Catholics, where you have like, um, you have, you know uh, priests and bishops, and you have this hierarchy uh, of different people. Rather, um, uh, no teaching. There, there are no teaching elders that can operate without a specific call. There is no teaching elder who's like over the Mississippi Valley Presbyterian, like you would find a, a, a bishop over a church diocese um, in the Episcopal Church, or perhaps even like the Methodist. Church. So, um, uh, so we, uh, so we operate. Presbyterian Church operates through a series of courts that have different rules and different members, so, um, and different jobs. And so, but, but the basic idea of Presbyterianism is connectionalism between the churches and rule by elder. We are ruled by teaching elders and ruling elders, um, and so who represent the local churches. And, to, and, and, that, uh, and so we gather together once a year to deal with business that has to do with how our denomination runs. Alright, our general assembly does not meet to convene. Does not convene to discuss what Bailey Presbyterian is doing for VBS this year, right? Because that's not their job, right? They don't. They don't come together to tell us, uh, you know, the particulars of our ministry, of like when to schedule things, how to how to operate on a day to day basis. Because that's not the job, the jurisdiction of the uh, of the uh, general assembly. The general assembly is saying, look, we handle things that have to do with the denomination as a whole. And so, changes to our Book of Church Order, um, uh, things like review of all the records of presbytery. So, all the records of our session, all the minutes from our session uh, se- from our session meetings, they all get reviewed by our presbytery every year. Um, every year, they go through them uh, and they re- and they and they let us know: Did you screw up or did you pass? Like, did you mess them up? And if you did, uh, you know, fix this. Or if there's a serious error, then you need to respond and let us know what in the world's going on. Um, so this, it's a way to check in and to keep people accountable. And so, but then also, the records of all the presbyteries get checked every year at General Assembly. And so actually, it's going on right now. There's guys already in Birmingham. And they're going over in what's called a review of Presbytery records, which is as exciting as it sounds. <laughs> All right, just scintillating stuff there. So, uh, but it is important. This is what's this is a uh, uh, this is a form of accountability that we call review and control, and that we uh, that we that we don't have things that are just kind of slipping by, right? That we actually have that we actually are reviewing. What are the decisions that are being made? by all the 88 presbyteries within our, within our denomination. And uh, and so this is how we keep accountable to one another. And this is that part of that connectionalism. We are accountable to other churches. We are accountable to other presbyteries. We are accountable to one another because we are one church, the Presbyterian church in America. Uh, so um, uh, now I am actually one of the additional duties. Uh, so I'm going as a... Representative of our church and our presbytery to the to uh to the general assembly, and uh, I'm what's called a commissioner. So I get to vote. Um uh, uh we we pay for my registration and uh, church pays for my travel expenses and and I go there and I vote on things. All right, and so but at an additional duty that I don't perform every year, but this year I get to perform again is something called the committee of commissioners. So um, uh, you've heard of Mission to the World Committee um, Mission to North America you know so well those are committees well the question is who, who are they accountable to? who's checking their stuff? well that's what the Committee of Commissioners does so b- before General Assembly begins the Committee of Commissioners meets on Monday and Tuesday and reviews all the minutes and decisions of, of every committee uh, that's a denomination committee um, and, uh, and reviews all those, approves anything, um, discusses any um, uh, requests that the committee's making of the General Assembly and makes their recommendations to the General Assembly itself. And so, uh, and so I am, this year I'm sitting on the, uh, uh, the CDM committee, formerly the Christian Education Committee, but now the Committee of Discipleship Ministries. And so I'm, and so right now, it's, so I've reviewed all the minutes in my preparation for that, and there's really nothing uh, um, major going on. Um, so uh, uh, now we work in tangent with, um, uh, you know, the Show Me Jesus curriculum that we use for Sunday school materials. So uh, that uh, comes from uh, Great Commission Publications, which is a joint effort between the PCA and the OPC. Um, now, actually, what's interesting is that the majority of sales uh, of uh, Sunday school curriculum goes to non uh, goes to denominations outside of the PCA and OPC. It, it is a use, it is a highly used uh, curriculum, uh, but uh, but they take they took a big hit over the COVID period where they essentially had to cut their budget in half. So um, so they really took some big hits over the last year. So you can be in prayer for that because it's, it's a great ministry. They put out a lot of good materials uh, that we make use of. So. Um so we're glad that you make use that support them. but that's part of our review of the connection with uh, see, with uh, with uh, great commission publications as well. So I can tell you there's basically nothing going on there <laughs> with it's gonna be uh, but it's uh, I really like serving surveying committee of commissioners. Other guys don't like to do it. I like to do it because it helps me to get to know our denomination. like I got to, I sit on the committee of commissioners for the uh, uh, the PCA foundation uh, one year and it's like, what is the PCA Foundation? Well, basically, it's if if you have a fair amount of money and you're trying to figure out the best way to uh, maybe leave a gift to the church um, uh, when you uh, you know after you pass away, or even just how to handle set up maybe a, a, an anonymous charitable giving things like that. The PCA Foundation is there to help counsel and guide and give people advice, and so that's it's so that so uh, so they do that and they do a good job. Um, so, which is different from the PCA RBI, which is retirement benefits. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, so it's just, um, but it's 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 a great way for me to go nerd out on our on our Presbyterian denomination. So that's really what it is. So, um, I like serving on it, and I get to meet other teaching elders that I don't know. In fact, I look at the committee, and I don't know, I don't I don't think I know anybody on the, that's serving on my committee of commissioners this year. So. But it'll be interesting to get to know them and, and get to know and work together. So that's just a little bit about what it is, uh, what we're doing, and how, kind of introduction as we get into it. Um, so I want to give you some uh, some brief statistics, because, uh, again, I mean, nothing more exciting than statistics, but, uh, but the numbers are what people want to know oftentimes, and they help just give you a snapshot, right? Numbers aren't everything, but they do help give you a snapshot of... And to understand trends and especially, you know, how has COVID affected our church as a denomination as a whole? And we also have to bear in mind there are a lot of churches that don't report their statistics. We do, um, but a lot of churches don't. Um, and so the, the, the statistics are always skewed a bit because there are a lot of churches that just don't report. Them. And we don't, we don't, we can't penalize them. We don't have a, any kind of mechanism for penalizing churches. We're not reporting, and so it's entirely voluntary. So, But we get over half, at least, that reports, and then basically they kind of, I guess they kind of guess, but based on the information we have, um, now we do know we do have 88 presbyteries, that is confirmed, (laughs) so uh, uh, now we do have also, we have 1,593 churches in our denomination, which is a net increase of 13 over the year, 1,593 no that's in North America yeah that's, that's in the United States and yes so uh, a, a we have uh, our mission churches are church plants um, we have 318 church plants which is actually down by 30 um, and now part of that is because a bunch of those became full churches so so once you do that you've Move out, and then and then and then several dissolve. Not every church plant works, right? Church planting is risky business. It's uh, it's you're taking a risk, um, even if it's a solid area and it's our you know we oh we're sure it's going to be great. You never know. So it's just you know the Lord knows, but uh, but you don't know. So you know this church plant versus Fortnum Monroe, it is going well. You know Harris Bond, he is meeting for worship, but we don't know uh, whether or not it's going to continue. You know so. But it, but it continue. We're praying. It seems to be going well. But we just say, hey, you know. So these guys, they go to planting churches. They do it, you know, um, knowing that hey, this could not work. It's possible. It, it's happened many many times. And so, um, but it is the Lord that gives the growth when it happens. So uh, let's see here. And it's the Lord who shuts them down. <laughs> so He's in control. So we trust that. So we're doing a GA preview. So some of the preview. So we're going running through some statistics right now. So. Uh, We have uh, teaching elders as pastors. We have five thousand one hundred fifty-nine pastors now. Now, note that's five thousand one hundred fifty-nine teaching elders in our denomination. We have one thousand five hundred ninety-three churches. So um, now that also includes uh, teaching elder missionaries, uh, teaching elders who are serving, and uh, um, we've got several. uh, We got uh, you know number of teaching elders that serve as uh uh professors uh in um in seminaries, so so it's not all the, the all of these are not directly serving in the local church ministry but most of them are and so uh we have let's see here uh oh we have uh, 704 candidates for the ministry that are in process right now that's anywhere from on average from a a, a 3 to 4 uh, year process you know um and so Uh, Let's see here, Um, we have, uh, oh, professions of faith by children, so this would be uh, children who came to faith either uh, by coming into the church or as covenant children coming up and and professing their faith. We had uh, 4,479 professions of faith uh, by children last year, and that is uh, um, up uh, uh, by 456 from the previous year. And we also have professions of faith by adults. Of uh, four thousand six hundred and seventy-four adults, professed faith uh, last year, and um, and so that is and that is people professing faith, you know, for the for the first time as they come into the church. So, uh, and that is a, an increase from the previous year of uh, three hundred and eighty-three. So, um, uh, let's see here. Uh, are we have a total? Uh, but this it's interesting though. Um, uh, though even though we have the, the, those wonderful numbers, our total membership is 378,389. So we have close to you know, just over 375,000 members. Um, but that is down almost 5,000 from the previous year. So uh, so, so uh, even though we have gained um, essentially, uh, I mean, it looks like almost 10,000, Members, we it, uh, we lost more. So now there's there's uh, now we uh, school Sunday school declined during COVID uh, and has not recovered. So we in uh, 2019 we had approximately 65,000 uh, members attending uh, Sunday school and sorry 95,000 and uh, since COVID hit uh, it has uh, been uh, 65,000 and um, and stayed at the last two years. So, so we've uh, so Sunday school has taken a hit by about a third. So it's pretty heavy. Uh, Now, um, total contributions are very strong for the church in terms of giving. Um, So our total our total contributions were basically just shy of a billion dollars for the domination as a whole. That includes missions, church planting, uh, tithes and offerings, everything. Billion, just shy of a billion. So, yeah. So it was actually just over a billion. Previous year, 2021, and then it it went – or sorry, 2020, and then it went down, just slightly dipped, just below that, Uh, but still very strong. So uh, we do have a concern. uh, The average age of PCA members is 55. So um, now you compare that to the average age of Muslims in the United States, which is 32. Um, So, you know, it's – you know, 55, it's not – you know, that's – for an average age, it just means that you have an older congregation uh, as, as a church. Um, We are the fourth oldest uh, uh, among the major denominations. We're younger than the Methodists and the Episcopalians. But we are the oldest among evangelical denominations. uh, But we're roughly the same as the Southern Baptists and slightly older than the Assemblies of God. So so from their statistics, comparing them, this has come from the State of Clerks report. Um, And so there is clearly a need for outreach and evangelism denomination-wide, reaching out to those around us, not just to, you know, Liven up, <laughs> but but it's just what like I said these numbers, these statistics, these things they just present us with a snapshot, right? They just give us a picture of what the trend is, and it highlights hey what the needs are, and then, and no surprise I mean we would say the need every year is outreach and evangelism, but uh, but it is truly it is important to uh, to consider that as far as the makeup of the church as well. Now, so those those are some concerns that we need to think about. Some strengths. Uh, we have a very strong ministry corps. Um, so we have we have a lot of well trained ministers. We have a lot of candidates in the pipeline. I mean, there are literally. I mean, there are literally denominations. They cannot get ministers. Um, well, they get people that'll just get in there, but they can't get qualified ministers. And and part of that is because they're a liberal denomination. There's not a lot of people who want to be ministers in that denomination. Um, uh, and so they have. And so they're begging for for ministers. And so. Uh, we are not. Uh, we, have, uh, we have a very strong ministry core. Our church planting efforts are very strong. We continue to strong. We are planting churches. And planting churches is one of the best means of evangelism, uh, particularly if you're talking about it, long-term, strong, continuous evangelism. Planting churches is number one. It is the best way to reach people for Christ. Um, now, it doesn't mean, that, uh, talking about our own personal efforts in our own area, but in terms of the denomination – um, church planting remains the best way to uh, to reach out into um, uh, long term and to not only uh, bring people into the faith but to keep them in and so uh, and then also we continue to be well resourced as a denomination um, uh, financially and also in terms of our um, resources are uh, be able to um, uh, in terms of um, documentation theology all those things we are very well resourced in those areas so so those are some strengths. Uh, the committee reports, uh, basically looking over all the denominational uh, committee reports from the MNA and the MTW and um, uh, um, uh, the, uh, the Administration Committee uh, um, and uh, um, the Committee of Constitutional Business. That's a fun one. Uh, so, um, uh, so those uh, – uh, those, there's not really any uh, major, like, concerns or big issues. These are good reports. Things, they're reporting good things happening. Without getting a lot of details, but I really want to spend the most of our time or the rest of our time uh, talking about overtures because overtures are the main the meat and potatoes of General Assembly. That's where the debates happen. That's where the uh, the action is in General Assembly. And overtures are weird. It's, ta- it's taken taken me years to figure out how General Assembly works um, because uh, we have forty two overtures. Uh, that have been submitted by various Presbyteries. Plus, we have seven overtures that were held over from the previous year. So that means we have 49 overtures, which last year we had like 60-something overtures because we didn't have General Assembly during COVID. So, so this is actually down a little bit than we, we had to deal with last year. Um, but there is no shortage of controversy still that we're dealing with here. So um, uh, so the, the seven overtures... Uh, so an overture is basically... A presbytery, um, uh, uh, or an, or even a church in certain instances, um, is asking the, the General Assembly to do something. To take an action, to alter the book of church order, to, to make a statement publicly. It's That's what an overture is. It's requesting something. It's like if you're in a meeting and someone makes a motion. Uh, it's like it's to take an action of some sort. And so these are different actions. And... Um, and so those holdover overtures from, from the previous year, basically, they all have to deal, they're, they're basically all about clarifying procedures when handling discipline cases, um, and so there's not really a lot to, to say about those. It, uh, most of them are pretty good, um, kind of giving some better clarity about certain things. Uh, there's one that is not good, and I don't think it's going to pass, and uh, I will vote against it, uh, is the, um, there's one that was uh, asking for the, Expansion of uh, so basically, what happens is if there's there's two types of discipline cases, generally speaking. Um, if let's say a minister comes under discipline, okay, he's committed some kind of grievous sin. Um, he's uh, stolen money from the church. We'll just say that, okay, and he got busted, and so he's been uh, brought up on charges, and so uh, but he says he's innocent, okay. Um, well, guess what happens? You have to have a trial. Okay. Um, now, one can confess and simply say confess. Or, for instance, or you, if you have a church member who uh, who is accused of a grievous sin and they refuse to repent of it, they refuse to, they refuse to. Well, church discipline requires that uh, essentially that they be brought to a trial. And you actually have to appoint a prosecutor and you have to go through the whole thing, and it's uh, and it, and it, it is a mess. and it's really really uh, difficult, uh, but it is necessary, and so. Um, and so, what, what they're saying is, is uh, um, so. You talk about a legal trial or inside the church? Talk about a church trial. Yeah, just a church. Yeah, it's inside the church. Yeah. And so, uh, but uh, it says in the church, we have rules about what witnesses you can call, and you are not allowed to call witnesses that don't believe in God. Um, because you cannot, we don't believe, we do, not honor, we do not honor the testimony of atheists within the church as, as part of a church trial. And so we believe that it is morally necessary to have someone who believes in eternal judgment uh, to to make oaths and swear to tell the truth and to you know so um, and so basically uh, there's a motion to expand witness eligibility to include those who do not uh, basically all the way up to atheists to basically to be able to bring more witnesses in. And you can understand the argument there, but as a church, we just uh, don't believe it's going to be wise to open that door to allow um, atheists uh, uh, or others uh, who do not believe, who do not hold to the faith, uh, to testify within a church court. So, um, so yeah, so be voting against that. I don't think it's going to go anywhere. Um, then, uh, it's funny, one that's gotten a lot of excitement from teaching elders and ruling elders who go to, a, who go to general assembly is overture number one, which is... Uh, we the, the overtures committee report. So basically what happens is, is there's all these overtures, okay? Most of these overtures are going to get sent over to the overtures committee, which meets prior to the General Assembly. The Overtures Committee will take all these all these overtures, and then they will basically take them, and then, and then there's some, there's like one in, there's one of these that like basically they'll take something that's dealing sometimes there's like six overtures that deal with the same thing. Okay, and so what they'll do is they'll pick one, the best one, and then it'll just attach all the others to it. And they'll, say, and they'll just say, we're presenting this one as the representative of all those. And so and we recommend you vote for it or against it. That's what they do. They'll say, we recommend you vote for this or against it. Vote this again. And so, and so when it comes to actually vote on the assembly floor, what's weird is you're not voting for the overture itself, you're voting about the overtures committee's recommendation of the overture, which can get really confusing because they'll say, we, you know, it's like, I'm going to vote yes to vote to, to affirm the Overture's Committee saying I should vote no on this thing, you know, and so, and so you're just kind of like, and sometimes people will stop, they'll stop and they will ask, so like, Mr. Moderator, please explain what we're voting here. <laughs> like, like, Let's simplify the language here. Um, but it is an important process to help simplify these things and take to, to uh, um, and so I'm going to go through some of these, but the problem is, is that we don't have, like, a uh, the stated time for the Overtures Committee report is, like, 3 o'clock on, like, Thursday afternoon, um, which means that if you're doing the most important debates and the most important business and it starts at 3 p.m. on Thursday, and we're supposed to leave Friday, well, guess what that means? It means that there's been multiple years where we didn't get done till 1 in the morning. And so, uh, and it's just kind of like, it's, okay, well... Um, and so they're saying, look, no one's fresh and making good decisions after 11. All right? Like, it's just not good, you know? And, 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 um, and, not, and not all the guys going there are spring chickens, right? So it's like this: it, people are tired. They are emotional. Sometimes we just blow through things and don't give them enough time to, of consideration. And so it's just like, so they said, look, we need to set it to just move it to Thursday morning at 9 a.m. Like just you know just gotta kind of, let's just stop this and start doing the visit, the most important business of so, so I am so uh I think it's gonna pass there is some strong pushback from the administrative committee on this uh they don't like it for some reason but um but uh, most of the guys I'm hearing from are uh, like myself going, yes, please, we need to stop having these midnight one a m sessions where we're handling the most important business of the of the general assembly It just doesn't make sense so all right. Well, um, so that's 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 number one. Uh, let's see here. Uh, there's also uh, quite a few. Um, so there's 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 several ones having to do with the Standing Judicial Commission. So let's say you have the the session makes a decision that you really disagree with. Like in fact, you say this violates our mission as the church. I object to this strenuously. And, uh, and you bring it to the session. The session says, we hear your complaint. You say, I want to file a complaint about this. And, and we say, we hear your complaint, but we do stand behind our decision. Well, then at that point, you can appeal that complaint to the presbytery. And then the presbytery will have to hear your complaint. And the presbytery would take that, and they would say, okay, well, um, you know, uh, Bailey's session, you either, were, you either did not err in this decision, or you did err, and you need to correct it. And let's say they say, well, this Bailey session did not air, and and you still feel like, well, I I think that the Presbytery got it wrong. You can then appeal it up higher, and the next highest level beyond the Presbytery is the Standing Judicial Commission. It's like our Supreme Court when it comes to the church courts. And so so there are several requests. Uh, We are still dealing with the fallout from the Revoice Conference of 2018— where the um, where the um, we remember in the human sexuality report we talked about that side B, um, uh, sexuality uh, side B Christianity where people were saying they were they were going to they were identifying as um, gay Christians but they were still going to maintain the biblical sexual ethic and be celibate but they were still identified their orientation as gay or homosexual. You remember we were talking about that in Sunday school. Well, that's the side B. Type thing. Well, there's there's a there's a teaching elder in St. Louis, um, in the Missouri Presbytery, who had um, who had organized this conference uh, for Revoice was at the center of all that, and so he was brought up on trial, and he was um, there's a whole mess. There's a hundred pages of of standing judicial opinion um, in, in the commissioner handbook, and by the way, this is a select printing. Okay, the, the actual commissioner's handbook is 800 pages. It's over 800 pages. It was 787 pages, and then they dropped a 150-page supplement this week, uh, which was 50, 75 pages of corrections and 50 pages of new material. <laughs> so, um, so I just I, I selectively print things, and then and then basically they say bring an iPad. That's that's what you do unless you want to lug that thing around in two binders. But, um, so uh, so basically. Uh, What's happened, though, is that the the Standing Judicial Commission basically has said that the Missouri Presbytery did not convict Teaching Elder Johnson of the specific charges that he was charged with. The Standing Judicial Commission uh, agreed, after it was complained and appealed, uh, uh, agreed that um, the Presbytery did not err in their particular fine points of the case that was brought to them. However, they were not able to include any of the statements, interviews, or even the book this teaching elder published after the case had already been brought, because it was not within the purview of the case. And so, um, and so now we have multiple requests from uh, two presbyteries who are uh, who are asking for the standing judicial commission to essentially to try teaching elder johnson as the court to take basically take over and be the responsible court to try him especially based upon the interview he just did with NPR recently which was atrocious and the book that he just published in which he identifies himself as a gay christian as a you know as he uses the terms of homosexual christian and he uses these terms that we uh, have explicitly said you cannot use and so and so there, um, so, there, so there are two uh, requests for the SJC to basic, basically prosecute him and bring that case. Um, there's also another um, – a, a couple other ones that have to do with kind of how that process works. I won't get into all that. Um, uh, let's see here. Oh, we do have a petition for the U.S. government uh, uh, regarding abortion. Uh, so about ending it. We are in a historic moment. Uh, with the uh, with the Supreme Court seemingly poised to overturn Roe v. Wade, and so uh, we, um, you know, it seems to be fitting time to appeal to the U.S. government simply as a church uh, to say, um, you know, we want an, we want the end of abortion to be brought. Now, um, and some may say, well, why don't we do this every year? Um, well, one, or why don't we make statements all the time about lots of different political subjects? Uh, because, actually, in our book of church order, uh, we believe that the church and government operate in, uh, on um, what we talk about on separate orbits. Now, those orbits do cross every once in a while, um, but uh, we do not take it upon ourselves to make uh, statements into politics uh, very often. And as evidence of that, our last humble petition to the government on the issue of abortion Was in 1986, okay. And it doesn't mean we've abdicated our responsibility. It just means that we are very careful about our timing, and we don't and we don't do petitions because we would endlessly be petitioning the government for everything. So, uh, so we are, um, so we are bringing. uh, So this this petition is being brought. I think it is timely. I think it is good to uh, to pass through and to express our humble petition to the to the government that we desire to see. Um, uh, abortion brought to an end. So, uh, there's a related statement on political violence. I don't know how that one's going to go. Um, I've seen an amended version of this uh, go through, but we have seen a, a a severe uptick on political violence. Now, last year there was a uh, overture um, that was asking the PCA to condemn. Violence against Asian Americans, because you had that spa shooting in Georgia, and you had you had a bunch of instances of that. Um, and and rather than making a a, a a petition to the government or an official declarative statement, we took that moment to uh, to at the assembly to simply express our condemnation of violence towards Asian Americans and to pray. For particularly for I mean I don't know, you may not know this but at least fifteen percent of the PCA is Korean It's made of Korean churches and Korean speaking churches so um, and so uh, and so we took that time to pray for our um, our, our Asian brothers and sisters uh, in our denomination and in the country um, who had had been undergoing a lot of attacks and so uh, and so I. I wouldn't be surprised if this one goes a similar way. Because like I just said, I mean we, we – you know, the last time we made a statement on abortion was in 86. So like I don't I – don't, I don't really uh, – and, and especially in recent years, we've kind of grown – the assembly's grown a bit weary with a lot of these kind of – well, let's say this now. Let's say this now. Let's say this now. It's just – because it just feels like you're just flapping in the wind. Um, you know of every er, everything that's blowing this way or that way, and it's kind of like, look, we're trying to keep our eyes on the prize here, the gospel, and so. Um, but there are times when things need to be said. So I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of, of two minds about that statement. So and there's an, and, and so this and there's a section in there that someone has asked to be taken out. Maybe it's a little more amendable, amen, amenable. Um, but I don't know. We'll see. But uh, finally. Um, uh, this brings us back to the uh, going back to the revoice and the issue so last year we um, the, the assembly overwhelmingly passed uh, amendments to our book of church order to modify the, um, uh, uh, the the book of church order concerning the qualifications to be a minister and the qualifications of candidates and interns, there's two separate sections in our book of church order and, the, and, and then we're going to include some explicit language about Essentially, um, character qualifications, and and one of the things that was a part of that was that you cannot identify, you cannot make your your core identity associated with sin. Hence, like a gay Christian, you cannot do that. You can't be a lustful Christian. You can't be, you know, you can't. We can't do that. So that you cannot be a minister and do that as well. Well, those those amendments, even though they are passed uh, overwhelmingly at General Assembly they narrowly failed to be confirmed to the Presbyteries. Because amendments have to be passed the General Assembly, then they have to be approved by two-thirds of the Presbyteries, and then they have to be confirmed back at the, at the, the next Assembly. And so those, uh, those amendments uh, did fail, barely, by razor-thin margins. Um, and, so, and there's a variety of reasons. It's not just that there's a third of the PCA that is... Um, affirmative of side B Christianity. There's there's a lot of guys who are just kind of like, the BCO is good, I mean, quit changing it. Like, quit changing it all. You know, it's just, you know, the OPC makes fun of us because ours comes in a binder, theirs is bound in a, in a book. Look, that's how often they change it to the Book of Church Order. It's literally bound in a book, where ours comes in a three ring binder. You know, like, so there's those types of guys. There's other guys who just had an immediate kind of they didn't like the language it was too vague. It was a little too weird. They thought it could just it, it, it was too technical. Uh, so there was a lot, of, and then there were some people that, that that had issues with it because they had sympathies for the side B guys. So, but there was enough issues where it didn't pass in two-thirds of the Presbyterians. Well, um, that means that uh, the uh, there are the Presbyterians that went back. They listened, and so they uh, and so they have now presented new. Um, so we have five. Uh, um, uh, overtures, Overtures 12, 15, 20, 23, and 29, um, that deal with modifying the qualifications for church office in the Book of Church Order, which is 16 uh, 4. And so, um, uh, and I agree with others that 29 is probably the strongest and clearest. Uh, I hope that they'll pick that up in the Overtures Committee and make that the representative one. Um, but it just makes it clear. They basically clar- simplified the language, clarified it, reduced it down to very simple, uh, simple language. And so, um, and then I actually have that. See, see again, this is even stuff here. So, um, uh, let's see here. I was going to just read to you. Um, let's see, twenty-nine. So, I even sent the Office Depot and got the same. Well, actually, I didn't tell them to bind it. They just bound it for some reason. So, all anyway, right, all right. So it says that they want to change this to: Officers in the Presbyterian Church in America must be above reproach in their walk and Christ-like in their character. Those who deny the sinfulness of fallen desires, or who deny reality and hope of progressive sanctification, or who fail to pursue spirit and power of victory over their sinful temptations, inclinations, and actions, are not qualified for ordained office. So, um, so that's. So that's a pretty good. It's a pretty. That's pretty good language. It's pretty clear. and pretty effective. Uh, so we have five of those, um, and then we have one overture, overture thirty-one, that wants to change the requirements for ordination to church office uh, for for ministers. Um, now, what's interesting is there is a there's overtures thirty-three to thirty-five that basically say uh, that basically were submitted that say, hey, look. Let's just com- let's commend all the presbyteries to make use of the human sexuality report that we came out last year that we commended already. And so, and basically, the idea is that there are people who don't want to change the Book of Church Order. And so, my thinking is, is that they have submitted these 33, 34, 35, to hopefully, as a kind of a halfway in between, so, so that way we wouldn't have to modify the Book of Church Order. But I would actually vote no against these because it's basically saying, like, look, we got pious advice in our report last year. Let's, let's Somebody else wrote this, and I'd agree with them. They said basically it's pious advice about pious advice. It's saying let's agree with it again. It's like, well, we've already commended it to the Presbyterians. We did that last year. But if we need to change the Book of book Church Order, then we need to change the Book of Church order. Book of Church Order. So that's the question. So I'll probably vote negative on those uh, and vote yes for the BCO amendments. And then um, the last thing I just want to mention, because we need to end here, but um, is that our, um, uh, uh, our denomination also put out uh, – um, this is the last study committee that we're going to have for a while. This was actually – the study committee was appointed in 2019 on um, domestic abuse and sexual assault. So um, this is basically kind of a pastor manual, um, and so it's really, really – I'm working through it. it I'm really – it's very good. Um, it's very helpful. It um, basically it gives a theology of abuse, uh, understanding um, how, how that, and it's very pastoral. Especially, it's a good resource for pastors to go through, and they have a lot of cases. Um, uh, one of the uh, one of the people on the committee that was an advisor to the committee uh, was Rachel. De, I don't have her name. Dead Hollander, I think she was a um, an Olympic athlete who was abused by Larry Nassar, um, uh, um, who had grossly abused a lot of female Olympic athletes. Um, she was one of those who's now, who's become a public advocate. She's, I believe she's a Reformed Baptist, but she was also an advisor on the committee as well, uh, that um, helped advise the committee, and so this is a, it's a very good report. Um, I'm hearing great things about it. I've been working through it. It's really good, so it's uh, hard reading, but it's very good stuff and very helpful because unfortunately we do live in a world of sin, and so um, and so we do uh, come across this, so um, so that is a, a preview. I will give you all a report uh, when I get back for General Assembly on how the overtures go. Uh, sorry we didn't have, really have time to do question and answer, but if you have any questions or concerns uh, as I prepare to go to General Assembly, please uh, uh, talk to me and let me know, uh, and, we'll, and we'll talk. So thank you all.